Hello everyone, this is your brief reminder that this is a re-upload of a recording from several years ago, and so there may be one or two not updated references, especially when it comes to, say, Pixel remasters or Final Fantasy VII Remake. Rocks and doors, I'll just say that for now. In fact, there were a number of things from Seven Remake to announcements about 16 and an entire conversation really about 14 in more modern times that could have been had and will probably this will probably just be a conversation that we revisit honestly again in the future update if you will uh, but this is one of my favorite episodes so I hope you'll enjoy it where uh, we sort of carve out a bit of what's different about our show uh, really really appreciate you all for listening this is also a spoiler warning. This is not our most spoilery interlude episode, but there are one or two things. Again, it's one of these ones where we talk about a lot of different games in the franchise, so we do touch on some things. We do a better job of giving you a heads up, but if you haven't played, I think especially 10 we do get into again, you might want to skip this one and come back. If you're interested in getting right to the next episode and you're listening on a podcast app, you can go over to patreon.com slash ffweekly. And for more Final Fantasy stuff, and also Marvel and DC and professional wrestling and original music and all kinds of things, check out my patreon.com slash dcproductions. Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman. And I am Ira Kreisman. And on this interlude episode, we're going to take a step back and look at the series through an entirely new lens. We're going to look at the entire franchise through something we've talked about before. Remember my many, many lists? I do remember those lists, yes. Indeed. Uh, something we've talked about a number of times on one of those lists about how we evaluate art, something we think is very important, is the distinction between cynicism and criticism. And that's something that we're just going to blow up now into a whole conversation as it particularly applies to this franchise and where we see people oftentimes mistaking cynicism for criticism. So we're going to split this conversation into two broader sections because the second one is something where we think there's enough of a conversation to have one in and of itself. The first, we're just going to talk about several examples throughout the series where we feel like people are applying a bit too much cynicism rather than a critical analytical lens. We'll also talk about a few other pop culture examples that come to mind as we get through that. In the second part, of our conversation, we're going to talk about the idea of expanded universes, spin-offs, re-releases, remakes, that entire conversation in and of itself. In fact, we may have to end up splitting this thing into two different episodes. We'll see how brief either one of us can keep ourselves because there's we, a lot to talk yeah, about here. We have a tendency to ramble on. <laughs> or make a lot of really good points, depending on how you look at it. 
as any good former almost debate champion and former debate coach would do, we have to begin by defining our terms. There are a few different definitions of cynicism straight out of Black's dictionary is just an inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest or skepticism as a broader general term. Also an inclination to question whether something will happen or whether it is worthwhile or pessimism. It also comes from the school of ancient Greek philosophers known as the cynics. I oftentimes refer to cynicism as contempt prior to investigation, which comes from somewhere before Aaron Sorkin, but that's where I got it. Contempt prior to investigation. Another way I oftentimes think about it is there is an old Buddhist phrase, which is that it is impossible to fill a cup that is already full. Cynicism to me is when somebody goes into an idea with their cup full and therefore mostly are incapable of overcoming that to get to some other conclusion about a piece of art, whatever it may be, an ideology. There are a, a lot of different ways to be cynical about things, but contempt prior to investigation does not necessarily mean that you cannot overcome that contempt, but it does mean that you go into whatever you're doing with a particularly pessimistic viewpoint. So are you saying it would be your advice to empty your cup before going to see Star Wars The Last Jedi? Exactly. Anything along those lines. And it's very difficult to be done, as you mentioned, with episodic content, which we'll have a lot here with Final Fantasy. Anything where there are expectations because there is an existing relationship with the property in one way or another. People are going to have their expectations. And if there are certain things they know they already like or don't like about the franchise or certain things that are or are not Star Wars, for example, then you have a contempt of an idea before you've allowed yourself to see how it plays in a new iteration of the thing you like. One of the ways, and I know I'm doing a lot of the talking up front here, but just trying to set up this whole thing, that I think it's a really interesting way to look at this. And we've talked about professional wrestling on this podcast a couple of times. But one of the reasons sure, I like sure. to talk about it is because it simplifies a lot of things. And there is an idea that's very common now for those who follow this stuff about the smark versus the mark. In essence, nobody wants to be a mark. And being a mark has been a term before professional wrestling, but essentially what it means is that you just buy whatever they tell you. You cheer for the good guy, whether he's good at wrestling or not, just because you eat up whatever you're supposed to. You boo the bad guy, those are the marks. The smarks or smart marks are the people who are aware of what's going on behind the scenes, who maybe know that this guy should be getting a push and that guy should be getting a push and they're not. And so they won't just boo you or cheer you because they're supposed to. I think this dynamic is at the very heart of the difference between cynicism and criticism. And there's a way to be a smart mark without being a cynic, but I think what's at the heart of that is this wish to avoid feeling like a fool. Why is somebody a cynic? You want to avoid feeling like you've had the wool pulled over your eyes, like you are just a mark. And I think if you wanted to be a little more, dare I say, cynical 
about <laughs> categorizing cynics. You could say that they enjoy a feeling of discovery, that there's something they've recognized about a game or a movie or a TV show that doesn't work, that's, they will often use the word stupid or doesn't make any sense, and them having access to that makes them feel, in a way, superior. So my guess is that you and I are going to come down on the same side of us, that we're going to say it is better to go in, again, with the empty cup, to not be cynical about whatever thing it is you're going in to play or read or watch. But before we do that, is there an argument to be made then? Because in everyday life, I would say being cynical is, is a good thing. Being skeptical of what you're told, examining for yourself, is a good thing. Is there a way to see cynicism when it comes to trying to understand a piece of art like Final Fantasy as a good thing? I think absolutely there is, and I have a very personal understanding with this concept as a failed independent musician, or at least to this point, failed independent musician. <laughs> There's time. When, I suppose there is. But yes, when I see, or I suppose hear, music that to me is transparently commercialized, that appears to lack any kind of soul or to have any kind of originality. Now, I differentiate. I don't see that as cynicism because for me, even if it's the newest Taylor Swift or whoever, Katy Perry, I will give it a fresh listen. And if it's a whole new way of doing things, if they wrote a really good song, I would like to believe that I would appreciate that for what it is. I think cynicism is about setting boundaries before you get there and just saying, you can't cross this boundary. I don't care how you do it. You just can't do it. So maybe that's not actually an accurate definition. Maybe that's just me in my head trying to create a clearer definition between those two things. But I do think there is a way in which cynicism oftentimes leads to a shield against nonsense art, where you're, you are less likely to be a mark for something with no heart and no soul. And as we'll talk about in the second half of our conversation, something that might be a transparent cash grab, something that is playing on your nostalgia in order to get the money out of your wallet. And so being aware of those possibilities, I do think has a great deal of merit. That being said, it's, it's a fine line between being aware that that's possible and stating with absolute certainty this is going on and then reaching a conclusion that a piece of art has no value or has no merit because it was produced with sinister or selfish intentions. And it's easy to become reductive about whatever thing it is you like or don't like, whatever story it might be. For example, it's easy to say that Of Mice and Men is all about, or rather is only about, a couple guys who go to work on a ranch and it doesn't work out. Like that's a bare bones, poorly written book report. And usually what we're trying to do when we watch a movie or play a game or read a book that we really enjoy is we're trying to understand it on a deeper level. There's a lot to understand about Of Mice and Men. There's a lot to understand about Final Fantasy. There's a lot to understand about Star Wars. And it's easy to say, well, all Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is is Dr. Jones getting involved in a thing that doesn't matter because, or, or where his part in it doesn't matter because if he hadn't been there, the Nazis would have opened the Ark and melted anyway. But that's not really the point. There's a deeper thematic understanding. There's a deeper character arc. The plot, and I am all for 
plot being held as important. Plot is chess king, we've said many times on this podcast now. But it is only the chess king because it's not necessarily the most powerful piece on the board. So it is easy to try to reduce a movie or a book or a game series to something very simple and and therefore think you understand it when you're cutting out a lot of what makes it deep. You're cutting out a lot of the layers. Right. One of the things I haven't mentioned about that whole plot situation is that it's often been said there are only seven of them. Or depending on, you've even said there are some theories there are only two. Sure. So let me... I didn't come up with this. Uh, A creative writing teacher in college gave me this one. It's one of my favorites, though. There are two plots. A person comes to town, and then either he or she leaves town, that's the first plot, or stays in town, and that's the second plot. And And I think that that's great, and not necessarily... What that shows us is that stories really don't have to be ruled by what happens within them, that they're about the people or the places, uh, usually the people and the ideas. So yeah, and what that shows us is that saying that something's plot is just like this other plot and so it's a total ripoff and it's not original or boiling it down to its basics is always going to be possible. In fact, it's not just with plots. You can do this with anything. You can do it with sports, football. That's just a game where they throw (laughs) a ball down the field, try to get into the rectangle at the end. They all stand up, they all fall down. Right. I write about baseball for a living and have multiple times called it a game where grown men hit a ball with a stick. Right. Because that's funny. It's also way more complicated than that. And so I think that's the biggest problem. If we're going to move forward in this conversation with a working thesis, I think it is this, that... We asked recently, and this is the first time we get to talk about some of our favorite Twitter interactors. So thank you guys for getting involved with the conversation with the 30th anniversary, which was a little while ago as of the publishing of this, but not that long ago as of the recording of this. We asked all of you guys to just share some of your favorite memories with us from the series throughout the years. And as it was no surprise to either of us, We got almost no repeats. We got 20, 25 replies, I think, from the early crowd we've managed to gather here on Twitter. And like I said, we appreciate every single one of you. And none of them were the same moment. And what that says to me is that with a series that has such broad appeal and potential in every corner to find its way into people's hearts in all kinds of different ways, cynicism ends up acting as a barrier to discovering excellence. So before we get into really minute, specific examples, because we both have a few that I think just bother us, that are pet peeves throughout the series that people seem to get wrong or or just miss because they're being cynical about it, let's talk about something that impacts the series overall. It's something I've been seeing a lot lately. It's followed it to the aftermath of Final Fantasy XV. But that is this crowd of people who seem to 
for decades now, every time the series has a dramatic shift in aesthetic or tone, lose their minds and pine for the good old days when Final Fantasy was whatever they think that Final Fantasy was supposed to be. By my count, this has happened at the release of Final Fantasy IV because of weird moon stuff. Uh-huh. Final Fantasy VI, because yeah. steampunk is not mm -hmm. direct fantasy. Final Fantasy VII was the first sure. time this was a huge deal. Like, I read somebody saying the other day about Final Fantasy XV, well, I wish they'd go back to focusing on story and characters instead of big production values and marketing. I was like, huh, when was the last time I heard that? Oh, yeah, it was exactly 20 years ago at the release of Final Fantasy VII. It happened yeah. again. Yeah, it happened again with Final Fantasy X, with the introductions of voice acting and the change uh -huh. to the way environments worked. It happened, of course, with Final Fantasy XI and the move to online play. Right. Uh, Final I Fantasy... was part of that crowd, too. I was part of the, I don't want to play online. Yeah, that's one where we get to criticize ourselves for our own cynicism about not playing Final Fantasy XI. Twelve had the issue of giving a numbered entry to something that kind of is part of the spin-off universe. Right. Thirteen had all kinds of shifts in aesthetic tone, and it's one of the, again, it's one that I do get in on the cynicism about that one a little bit. I have a hard time placing my finger on exactly why I don't feel like it has the heart that some of the others do, and maybe I was cynical about that, so we'll get into that. And of course, 15 people have, that's a whole conversation in and to itself. But it is interesting to me that this is not new for the franchise, that every time there's this shift, there's a crowd of people that say, this is not Final Fantasy. Right. And it's also worth noting that just because you are critical of the thing doesn't necessarily mean that you're going into it cynically. You can analyze a book, a movie, a game, and have uh, negative things to say about it that don't necessarily mean that you're doing it without... What was your phrase? Contempt prior to investigation. Right. right. So after investigating, if you still have contempt for a thing, that is legitimate. And as we've said in our list of things, being open to debate. So if you, if you investigate, you still have contempt, and then someone else comes along and says, actually, look at it from this point of view, and I think you'll like it better. Be okay with, hey, yeah, I do like it better now. Right. And I think one of the things that I've seen oftentimes is I, I've become very fond of the phrase yada yada-ing as a verb to yada yada something. What and, does that mean? Well, that is essentially to skip over something. This is a classic trademark of cynics, which is to like I heard somebody recently and I hope he's listening if he is Nathan. Hello. But who did this entire well thought out critique of certain elements of Final Fantasy XV, but he focused so much on things he didn't like and decided that the combat system, that Final Fantasy at its core is about team-based combat. And as he described it, I realized I had never really thought of it that way. And you know what, he's right. It's been a core element to pretty much every game up until XV, which in its original release, it was not. But what he did in that conversation was yada yada. He said, well, there are crystals and moogles and summons and chocobos and stuff, but Final Fantasy is really about this. And that's yada yada-ing a bunch of stuff that's really important. And I think that's what a kind of cynicism leads to is you're not. Now, and, and maybe he would be if I got to sit down with him and say, 
What about the importance of summons and crystals and chocobos and the role they play in that story and all of these other things? But you have to be open to viewing it from all of the other different angles. And a common trait of cynics is to define something as one way. We've seen this very recently with The Last Jedi. People's problem with it seems less to be that it doesn't work or that it's not a well-made, well-crafted film. All of the things on our list that we talk about what makes good art, it's that it's not Star Wars enough. It's not what they want out of Star Wars because they've defined it in one particular way. So no spoilers, but did you dig The Last Jedi? Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I dug it too. Cool movie. Yeah, and I think so especially anybody... that part where no, no, but and then the other part where no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I do think anybody who's open to multiple interpretations and this is another thing we've talked about we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves here but multiple interpretations of stories and characters that understand that these are pieces of art being created by different artists and you have to give them the freedom and the license to create and to do things that they find interesting and challenging and that you can't just go back and do the old that's right at the core of final fantasy you can't go back and do final fantasy one again you do final fantasy two whole new cast characters whole new world let's go you you can't you can't go back except for as we'll talk about in a minute when you expand your universe and then you can go back well and and there is a way the audience can go back the artist should should go ahead and move on to the next thing but the audience like if you hate the uh, expanded Star Wars original trilogy, you can go back and watch the the original releases. You don't have to watch the bit where Han Solo talks to Jabba the Hutt before getting on the Millennium Falcon, right? Right. You you can go back and watch them as they were released originally. The thing that you loved still exists, and you you can go back and read that again. You don't necessarily have to play the new version of Dawn of Souls. There are ways to play the original Final Fantasy. Go do that yeah. and, and don't complain about Dawn of Souls. Yeah, that's an argument that really gets under my skin. For example, when people don't like the expanded universe of Final Fantasy VII, they'll say, it ruined this character or that character or it ruined the plot. I'm like, no, it didn't. No, it doesn't. The original game still exists. What are you talking about? You can pretend like that's the only thing or take that as being the only thing that's canon. It doesn't change your original experience with that thing. That's... It's not how that works. That's, you know, like if that's like thinking if an artist wrote a song and then later wrote a sequel to that song that you didn't like as well, that all of a sudden you couldn't just go back and listen to the original song. Like, what are you talking about? Well, and it's interesting that you bring up songs because a lot of vocal artists, they don't sing their songs the same way twice. Like Aretha right. Franklin doesn't sing respect the same way every time. We know that one version because it plays on the radio or we've seen Blues Brothers, but she does it differently when she performs it live. A lot of singers and bands do that. Bob Dylan being a really good example of that. And just because you know that one version and love that one version from the radio or your CD, do we still do CDs? Sure. Or whatever, or, yeah, or, or whatever, doesn't mean that they can't mix it up when they do it live. Right. Uh, And so speaking of mixing it up, that's something that's always been big in Final Fantasy. And it's why for decades and decades, people have been threatening to quit the franchise because they're just not what they once were. And that it's silly. It's always been silly for this particular franchise because 
they've never stuck to being just one thing. They're always jumping forward and risking. There are a few times I look back, like with Final Fantasy IX, for example, there was really no controversy there because it was a return to the days of. Sure. And people were fine with that. But Another franchise that does this, or an, another game that does this, is Magic the Gathering. Because they're always bouncing around from world to world and always telling a new story. And it has always been about, you know, what are the new mechanics? What's the new, who are the new characters? What's the new world look like? It's a game about change. And Final Fantasy is very much that same idea. It's a game about change. It's a game about what comes next. It's, it's understanding the past, but it's also about what is now. Right. As Yoda would say, always his eyes on the horizon, never focusing on where he was or something like that. Um, yeah. So, another very broad way that I think that transitions us well into, because there's a character in that franchise who he was speaking of that is often put on one end of this spectrum that drives us nuts, and I think it fits as a part of the cynicism conversation, and that is the whiner versus the badass. The, <laughs> so, Luke Skywalker uh -huh. is the whiner, Han Solo is the badass. Cloud is sometimes the badass and sometimes the whiner and right. some people really don't like the whiner version of him Titus is probably oh, the most famous Titus. example of whiner where Oron is badass what I find to be particularly troubling about this dynamic is that not always but more often than not as a literary entry into the world, the whiner is almost always the more interesting character. Yeah, I'm I'm not especially interested in hearing people who don't like male characters to have feelings, to have emotions, to express those feelings and emotions, or even to cry. One of my favorite new animated shows is Steven Universe, and that show is not afraid to have its male characters or any of its other characters for that matter, cry when the situation calls for it. And I don't, I have always been frustrated with the critique of Titus as being such a whiner, such a crybaby. This guy's gone through a lot and he's, he is unafraid of his emotions. And I always thought that was extraordinarily strong of him. And I think when people critique him for being a pussy, what they're really saying is he's too feminine and I am afraid of being feminine, therefore I don't like him. And I think that's a misguided, potentially sexist way to try to understand the story. Uh, I think Titus is a, a really cool character. I think that without him, Yuna and her band of Merry Guardians wouldn't have made it. Uh, and that's at least partially because he is not emotionally stayed. He is not static he he is able to feel his emotions when they're at their best and when they're at their worst and he helps Yuna to feel them as well and that is what gets us to the far plane yeah this is one of the things that again i think cynicism really becomes a barrier to understanding what's great about a story that whole game 
is about emotion. The world is called Spirit because it's a spiral of death and darkness and sadness. And the character Titus would not, he would not make sense if he came in brash and confident. He is essentially emotionally a child because of what he is. Again, we've said it many, many times, spoilers, spoilers, but he himself is a dream, is, and, and this is not an uncommon trope to see in science fiction or fantasy, like Ultron, for example, has the intelligence, super intelligence, but emotionally is a child. So we have that in Titus. It would not make any sense for him to be any other way. And his emotionally distraught relationship with his father is integral to the plot. We're always talking about plot and it being important, but in order for him to have the drive to come to Spira to end that spiral of darkness, he has to be an emotional being. It doesn't work without it. And it it just reminds me so much of the early criticisms of Game of Thrones. A spoiler everybody knows, but I remember reading somebody after the first season writing, you know, it's too bad these are based on books because if this was a TV show, they never would have killed off Ned Stark because he's such a popular character and because Sean Bean is so awesome and they would have kept him around and it probably would be a more popular show. And then to that guy's credit, <laughs> a year later he went back and wrote, oh yeah, none of this would make sense You, if they had changed that. And that's how I feel about a lot of the characters in Final Fantasy who are more emotional or everything that's going on with Cloud, for example. His whole issue is vital to the theme and the plot of that game. I furthermore think that it's good to have stories that celebrate emotional intelligence. Uh, yeah. That is, characters who understand their own emotions, characters who are able to deal with their own emotions characters who don't have their emotions so blocked up that they can't handle it and then explode at the end. And it's worth remembering in Final Fantasy X that the first character the Faith dreamed up to go to Spira to try to fix things was Jekt. And Jekt was the brash, more emotionally standoffish character, and he failed. On the other hand, they sort of made him fail on purpose so that they could send Titus, right? Yeah. But, but still, yeah. the emotional intelligence of the characters in those games... Their, their understanding of their own emotions and what it means and how it helps drive them to a stronger, more interpersonal goal is one of the strengths of the story. And so to complain about him being a whiny little crybaby is to really miss the point very cynically. Absolutely. I also think another distinction people really struggle with is just because a character is someone you may not like if they were a real person, someone you wouldn't want to hang out with, that doesn't make them an uninteresting or poorly written or poorly conceived character. So those broader themes out of the way, let's get into a couple of minute ones, a couple of details. We're not going to be able to cover every single one because 
as we've talked about a lot, there's just so much to these games. And I've seen people be cynical about the most random of things. It's like, I didn't even know that was in there. And I've played that game eight times and somehow that ruined it for you. But one that everybody knows, I think we've got to start here as we're talking about just a specific scene or incident moment in Final Fantasy. One of the most famous that I think people are incredibly cynical about. We've talked about it a little bit before, of course, the Titus and Yuna fake laughing scene on the bridge in Final Fantasy X. Yeah, what I think a great scene. It's really great. As we've talked about before, it's supposed to be awkward. There's a great video of James Arnold Taylor talking about, yeah, it was supposed to sound like that. These are both award-winning voice actors. And again, you're misunderstanding the scene. So this is exactly what we've been talking about. Your cynicism about how awkward it sounds and jumping to a behind the scenes conclusion, which is that the voice actor is failing, therefore putting yourself, as I talked about earlier, in that superior position of knowing that this work is not up to snuff. What you've done is miss that the point of the scene is that these are two people in a world that does not experience laughter or joy, trying to force it upon themselves, which is inherently an unnatural thing to do. And so the result is an unnatural sounding sound. Again, back to Titus's emotional intelligence, he understands that Yuna is closed off and, and is not experiencing her emotions, and he eventually understands why, because she's expected to sacrifice herself. So, yeah, trying to help her find a little joy in whatever remains of her life, it's difficult, It's a, and it, it ends up being awkward, not because it was poorly done, but because that would be awkward for anybody. Right. I think another one for me moving to another game that's talked about very cynically is the love story between Squall and Renoa. And there are a lot of people that are very negative about that one. I know there are a lot of people that are positive about it as well. But I think much of that stems from two different places that for me are what make it work, which is so interesting. One is that Renoa starts the game with a different love interest and seems to just kind of randomly come over to Squall's side. It happens very quickly after they realize that Cypher maybe isn't such a good guy uh, beyond just being a a jerk. Um, And the other thing (laughs) is that Squall is never really that nice to her outwardly. He's such an introvert and they really don't have a whole lot of chemistry up until the moment he has to save her in space. And then it's like, oh, and now they're in love. But 
I think there's a lot more to it than that, and I think one of the big things about it is the fact that that's the one game where we have access to a character's inner monologue, and we see Squall's introverted self knowing how he feels. I think that's the way they convey, and Renoa is picking up on that. Yeah, being an introvert myself, I really like Squall. Yes. I wish I wish I were as awesome as he was, but that's a different matter. And and I got to say it is nice to have people in my life who pick up on what it is I mean when I don't say anything. <laughs> right. When I when I'm in a position where I feel like man, I yeah, I just I don't want to be here or uh, If I, I may really... be so bold, <laughs> I don't think that your relationship with your wife is that dissimilar to Squall's relationship with Renoa, who takes charge and uh-huh. not you know in a in an aggressive way but in a look if you're not going to make a decision i'll make the decision here's what we're going to do i'm not going to be mean about it i'm not going to hold it against you in fact i still really like you so right. this is going to be just fine i get that you're not going to do it i got this one right you know? it, it is so, it's, it's sort of a supporting thing like i know you don't want to make this decision i'm going to ask you anyway just to be sure but when you say what I know what you're going to say, which is, I don't care, I'll handle it. And that is, I think it's a strength of Renoa's that she's able to see that in him and, and sort of help. That's like one of her big contributions to the team is is getting things done by understanding what needs to be done because some of them just won't say so, especially right. Squall. And of course that plays out in epic symbolic form in the conclusion of that game where yes. she literally has to pull him out of the abyss. I'm sorry, because... did you say conclusion or did, did you mean introduction? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yes, correct. Both uh, brilliant, brilliant pieces of work and it, it it strikes at that theme. So it's so strange to me that there are people who, and I guess that's why for them a lot of people really don't like 8, aside from the cynicism I think about the junctioning system, but that I think and this is where again we'll draw that thin line, but it's important. I think the criticisms about the junction system are fair. I think they're about half based in subjectivity, but they're at least absolutely fair and not really based in cynicism and that contempt prior to investigation. I think there was thorough investigation. People have their sound evidence-based reasons why they don't like the junction system. The not buying the Squall and Renoa thing, there are so many people who have like included the images from their love story as part of their weddings. Like just Google it, oh, Final yeah. Fantasy VIII weddings. You yes. can't reach people at that level if there's no meat to your love story. So the I think the only way to reach the conclusion that there's nothing there again is to fill up your cup and just not be able to see it at all. Give us another example, big brother. Uh, perhaps another example is character design in Final Fantasy. Almost every time a new Final Fantasy comes out, when I read articles about Final Fantasy, usually from people who aren't that familiar with it, they will critique the character design as being androgynous, or having a lot of belts, depending on which character designer was most prominent, or both. And again, this is... I find this reductive, and I find it cynical. I I think it's reductive in that the people making this critique are trying to understand a character based only upon their outward gender expression, uh, male, female, or otherwise. 
and I think that's extraordinarily irritating when characters can be interesting based upon a wide variety of features. And maybe a character is interesting based upon their gender, but usually there's a lot more to it than that. So trying to downplay Final Fantasy or to, or, or to dismiss Final Fantasy because sometimes characters are portrayed as androgynous or some of the character designs don't feel like they're especially masculine or feminine is is missing a lot of the point right and to take a step back again and look at the mechanics of the thing i think one of the ways in which this manifests is in people's distaste for particular artists in this particular series more often than not tetsuya namura and you will see people dismiss his designs again as we've talked about very reductively and just talk about spiky haired kids in leather with zippers and while that's not completely inaccurate <laughs> they did see some things and then say that they right. saw those things i sure saw those zippers right i'll talk and about I, it so i've seen like a lot of people say about final fantasy 15 oh it's just a game with a boy band of leather clad guys on a road trip and i'm like uh yeah okay you're again being remarkably reductive but but they don't the, sing yuna's not the, there right the thing about appeals to those kinds of behind-the-scenes things, though, whether it's you saying, well, it's Tetsuya Nomura, therefore it's bad, or, well, the marketing company said it was going to be X and it ended up being Y, therefore it's bad, or a producer sure. said, anytime you're appealing, one, we've talked about The Last Jedi, some people appealing to Mark Hamill criticizing the portrayal of Luke Skywalker a bit. Anytime you're appealing to that kind of behind-the-scenes information, you're taking a shortcut to actually proving, and I hate cliches, but this is my all-time favorite, the proof is in the pudding. You're taking a <laughs> shortcut to showing through the text. This is what we tell you, this is what you teach high school kids to do. Show through the text what your argument is. So right. if it's a bad character design, don't tell me it's a bad character design because the guy who designed the character is bad. Explain what doesn't work about the character design. If your critique of Final Fantasy 15 is that it's incomplete, don't cite the marketing guy saying it was going to be something. Explain exactly how and why you feel the story doesn't have a beginning, middle, and end, whatever it may be. Otherwise, it's just cynical to make this appeal to behind-the-scenes information because at that point you're not critiquing a piece of art. You're just casting doubt and claiming victory. It's also an appeal to tribalism and a good way to try to get a mob mentality on your side because once these things become concrete and everyone can agree, yeah, we hate Zack Snyder, we don't even have to think about his films at all, we just hate him, it's automatically bad, and we've all agreed that that's the case, it becomes a very poisonous environment. Uh, I would like to finish the thought on the character designs too. I find it cynical to critique a character design as being androgynous and therefore dismiss the entire series. And I think this might be a, a cultural issue too. We tend to want to have our main characters be power fantasy characters. We want them to look like Superman or Batman. And I got nothing against Superman and Batman, but not every hero has to look like them. So when you have somebody like Locke, perhaps, who's thinner, who's maybe... Uh, he, I mean, he's got that roguish charm about him, but he's definitely not a, a power fantasy type character. He relies on his wits. He relies on his nimbleness. When you have a character like Noct, who, who's smaller and thinner and 
quieter and sleeps a lot and maybe has a little bit of that what some folks think of as being a whiner attitude to him. Never mind that his father was just killed and the city fell and so on and so forth. You know, people want, at least, it seems to me that in the U.S. especially, people want their characters, their main characters, to be more like Gladio or Oron. They don't want Noct and Titus. And I think that's unfortunate. I think that is a cynical way, you know, uh, making your, your decisions without your investigation. Play the game first. See, try, try to understand why Titus is an interesting character. Try to understand why Noct is an interesting character and don't dismiss them based upon what they look like. Yeah, I think that was a big thing that happened with the, again, we've talked about aesthetic shifts from Final Fantasy X to Final Fantasy X-2. And one of the things that I have been elated to discover since we've started doing this podcast and getting involved with people on social media is how many people love Final Fantasy X-2. And I do uh, see I it, love it. I'm one of them. At, and and I, I see it as a small step down from most of the games in the numbered series, the, the main entries, other than probably 13, and we'll talk about that later. But I Ooh. love this game as well. Yay. And I think one of the things that people never got over, I remember when it first came out, that first poster they showed and people went, oh, Final Fantasy Charlie's Angels, reductive cynicism. And some people never got over the fact that Yuna was in booty shorts. What if it's reductive celebration? Like, oh, Charlie's Angels. I know, right? Didn't we see somebody leave a comment on our Twitter? I yes. should find the name, but somebody said, yeah, about how it's, yeah, the girls go and, and play dress up and save the world and yeah. sing awesome songs. And what's not to love about that? And yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. there's absolutely a way to be reductive in the positive as well, which is less damaging, I think. Well, I, I think uh, as a place to start, trying to boil down what you like about a thing in a couple lines is, is a fine place to start. It's, it's sort of like the roadmap we did at the beginning of this podcast. But right. you do need to eventually dive deeper, which Twitter is not a good forum for. <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I think intend to, in particular, beyond the stuff we're about to get into with expanded universes, I think the aesthetic of that bothered people. And I think it had a bit of something that was nailed in the very first episode of CW's Supergirl when Cat Grant gives that epic speech about what the word girl means. And I think what we see from cynics a lot, especially in 10-2 in this case, is they themselves arrive at a negative conclusion. Yuna's wearing booty shorts, therefore now she must be promiscuous or something to that effect. And it's right. like, no, 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 dude, you wrote that on there. Right. You're writing, so as Cat Grant says, you've got a problem with the word girl. I don't have a problem with the word girl. That's on you. Well, and at least partially on society, too. It's not like... Right. It's not like that's an individual problem. That's a societal issue. And furthermore, anybody should be allowed to wear booty shorts and go on an adventure if they want to and not be called a slut for it. Right. Waka goes through the whole original game without a shirt. I'm fine with it, but... Sure. I think <laughs> um, it'd be a bit cold in some of those areas, but yeah. I think maybe one of the reasons, at least in our society, why that's seen as okay by some people is because Waka is muscled. Waka right. is is seen from the male gaze to be a... You know, again, he's that power fantasy character. That dude is buff, and he kicks butt, and he's a bit of a goof, but that's okay. He's not drawn as a way to titillate straight female players 
right? Right, though I think he does, and I've seen, again, as I get more into the social media stuff, how many of the men are just as popular amongst the ladies for how they look as some of the the women are, and that's an interesting aspect. I've never been attracted to anime. Well, I guess that's not entirely true. Sometimes you can be, and I know... You know, my girlfriend finds Noctis to be very attractive, and I think that's awesome. I the, the thing that I think you're getting at here really is that what happens more often than not with cynicism is that it arrives when a piece of art subverts your natural and or societal expectations, which is what a really good piece of art is supposed to do. So we have this idea that Yuna's supposed to be a certain way because she's a summoner and because she was so quiet and uh, thoughtful and sad in the first game. And so when our expectation is subverted, that cynicism kicks in and it stops you from recognizing a lot of really cool stuff because you're too busy looking at the thing that you didn't think was going to be the way you wanted it. So let's wrap up the conversation where we began with a couple of definitions. I won't use dictionary.com as the be-all, end-all source for what you should trust on the meaning of words, but they do define cynical as distrusting or disparaging of the motives of others. That's their number one definition. They've also got showing contempt for accepted standards of honesty or morality by one's actions, especially by actions that exploit the scruples of others. And their third definition is bitterly or sneeringly distrustful, contemptuous, or pessimistic. And I think that's worth going over because I think there are a lot of people who use the word cynic or cynical or cynicism to describe themselves who don't necessarily mean all of that. And while I certainly don't get to dictate how anyone speaks, I would suggest or argue or hope that you would err on the side of even using words like pessimistic or preferably skeptical because that is just defined by showing doubt where I think the what we've been getting at in this conversation the very center of it is that first definition there the distrusting or disparaging of the motives of others and showing contempt for accepted standards of dishonesty you're going that extra mile where not only do you arrive at the skeptical doubt-filled perhaps perfectly reasonable conclusion that something is bad, but you have to go to the next step of distrusting and disparaging the motives of the people who made the thing, showing contempt for anyone who takes the experience earnestly. And that's when I think cynicism becomes not just kind of frustrating or irritating to people like me, but actually damaging and why sometimes good art goes away. So. It's a fine line to walk. We got to be really careful, though. That will lead us, I think, perfectly into next week's conversation, which is about the expanded universes. And a lot of that really boils down to, for a lot of people, Hironobu Sakaguchi leaving the company and the motives then of the people who came into the company after that, disparaging the motives, which, as we said, is by definition, cynical. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening.
And thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at FFWeeklyPod, or you can email us at FinalFantasyWeekly at gmail.com. Join us next time when we talk nostalgia, cash grabs, and expanding the universe.